This is episode 90. In this episode of All Hazards. This is a, a dramatic paradigm shift of the technology on the back end. California takes a giant leap toward making calls for help faster and more accurate. 911, the number we all learned as kids to call when bad things happen, is outdated nationwide. Worst case scenarios, it can actually put lives at risk. As was the situation that surfaced when the Oroville Dam spillway incident forced everyone to evacuate, including the public safety answer points, all of them. So when you have six PSAPs all in the same geographic area that have an hour notice to evacuate, there was nowhere to send those calls. We knew NextGen would ultimately solve this problem. Next Generation 911 is now live in California, the first state to implement it. The role of this project is, is to route the call to the right center as fast as possible. So they can then answer the call and provide that emergency services that saves lives. We talk with the person responsible for bringing California's next generation of 911 technology into the 21st century. The wheels that are spinning to make all that happen are, are just unbelievable. And it, and it takes all of those people to make this kind of project a reality. Our conversation with Budge Courier starts right now. All right, another fine day outside and inside as well for another episode of All Hazards here at Cal OES PSC building. What does PSC stand for? Public Safety Communications. We are visiting with Budge Courier, who is the 911 Emergency Communications Branch Manager. Good to have you. Thanks for chatting with us today. I know you're a busy guy. Absolutely. Thanks for coming to visit us. We, uh, we enjoy visitors. Yeah, we don't get to come over here very often. Um, but uh, describe to our listeners where we're sitting right now. We are sitting in the NextGen 911 test lab that we built. And the purpose of this lab is to validate that the NextGen 911 solution that we're rolling out in California. I know we're going to talk about that in a lot of detail. But what we've done here is we've purchased equipment that matches what's in our public safety answering points today. Um, there's 450 of them in California, and about 95% of them have the equipment that you see in this room that we're in. And we use this to validate the solution we're building and actually send test calls here into this facility. Um, and we've done a tremendous amount of back work. The entire team has been involved to make sure that this facility is state-of-the-art and can do the testing and validation needed. So we've got call processing equipment workstations sitting around us, and if you were to visit a public safety answering point or a PSAP in California, you'd probably see something really similar to what you see here in that facility. So a PSAP for the layman is basically the 911 call center. Is that what it is? Exactly. Okay. So when you call 911 and they say, 911, what's your emergency? There's someone sitting there with a headset on in front of one of these call processing equipment Okay. stations answering that call it's okay. exactly what it is and it's a PSAP public safety answering point budge tell us a, a little bit about your experience your professionalism everything about you tell us everything budge <laughs> well back in the day uh <laughs> so uh there's actually a couple of us here in the office that hail from the midwest so i'm originally from michigan spent 21 years in the marine corps uh thank and you for your service absolutely it was a, a pleasure to serve a wonderful time I had there. And it was there that I got a lot of the communications experience that I'm using in this environment. So I started on mainframe computers. So if you've ever seen those old punch cards that you had to manually oh, yeah. feed into a computer, yes, that's where I started back in the 80s. 
uh, on computers and worked my way through not only computers, but telephone systems, radio systems, microwave backhaul, um, Marine, the, the Marine Corps data network or the, the precursor to what we call the internet mm -hmm. uh, in, in terms of data sharing through the Marine Corps. Did that for a number of years. Um, I have an undergraduate degree in computer science, a graduate degree in electrical engineering, and culminated my career by teaching at the Naval Academy for four years. Wow. Uh, teaching midshipmen about electrical engineering. Fascinating. Yeah. That's so very cool. It was a wonderful time. Went from there into public safety consulting and doing work to support public safety agencies around the, the nation, mainly in Idaho, Nevada, California, Arizona was where most of my work was. Uh, came over to Cal OES. Then it was public safety communications was not part of OES yet. Mm -hmm. um, and I worked as an engineer supporting the Department of Transportation, building out radio systems for them for Caltrans. Um, did that for a number of years, got a promotion to manage what we call natural resource agencies. So the radio systems for Cal Fire, Department of Water Resources, Parks and Rec, Fish and Wildlife, and then got the promotion to come into this position as an executive heading up the 911 branch. And at that point, next gen 911 was just a dream. And I was crazy enough to say, hey, I think I can make that dream a reality. Let's let's go for it. So that's that's why I'm here. And you need that challenge. You, you've got one of those brains that needs to be challenged, especially when it comes right into your lane. This is uh, very cool. So let's talk a little bit about the legacy version of 911. It's something we've all known since we were kids. Uh, your parents drill it into your head. Hey, if something goes, if, if your sister falls and cracks her head open, call 911. Tell us about the old version of 911. So when I came into this position five years ago, I think it was, um, that legacy network was the reality. And so the way that works today, you call 911 and it's all, those calls are routed on, on an analog network. So f picture a point to point network where if from point A to point B is broken, the system doesn't work. So there's single points of failure in the network and there's challenges in interfacing with the newer devices that we have. And pushing data through the system is challenging. So that, you know, back in the early 1970s is when this network technology came into fruition. And it's pretty much remained unchanged since then. Some enhancements have been brought in, like things like location information and the ability to, to route uh, calls from cellular devices and from voice over IP, but all of those signals are converted into analog and routed through that that legacy type technology. And what we saw when I came here was the the, the limitations of that. So you probably remember the Orville Dam situation. Oh yeah, do I ever? Yeah. So uh, I remember when I got that call too as well, and and went to the uh, uh, respond to the state operations center. So as an executive, I was brand new in this role at that time. My first job was to go and get food for everyone. So just to let you know, that's how your executives are used sometimes. Uh, pretty exciting. Uh, so at that point, though, we were looking at six different PSAPs, public safety answering points, that were going to be impacted by that evacuation. And they all were backups for one another. So in today's world, you and I run PSAPs. I back you up, you back me up, which is, and, and typically with maybe one or two exceptions, there's only one other place that you can send your calls. In other words, I can send mine to you, and if you're not available, they can't go anywhere. Mm. So when you have six PSAPs all in the same geographic area that have an hour notice to evacuate, there was nowhere to send those calls. Oh boy. 
And so they, you know, we work with the carriers and the providers and within 24 hours, we figured out some sort of workarounds, but it's those kinds of limitations that exist in the legacy network. And then we're seeing anywhere from 10 to 20,000 minutes per month where this legacy system we have today is, is not available somewhere in California because of those single points of failure. Jeez. So the inability to do transfers the way we need, back one another up, to push data through the network, the aging equipment and the failures in the infrastructure. And the other big thing was the, the lack of ability to get reliable location information accuracy down to, typically it's a thousand meters they can do today. Maybe they get a little bit better than that, but that might tell you the block you're on. Whereas when you hail Uber, they can tell you the, the square of sidewalk you're standing sure. on. So we wanted to bring all of that, you know, technology into the 911 space and move away from that legacy technology that was out there. Where do you even begin to move that kind of a system into and replace what was already there? The first step was to get folks to understand the need. Why do we need to make this transition? Why is it important? What is next gen 911 going to do for us? And that took us about a year of messaging um, through executive, up through the legislative um, process and, and into the, the governor's office. And we had a tremendous amount of support there. So first you start with people understanding this is a real need. You're not just making up something that, that some cool project you want to do. There's, right. a, there's a valid need. The very next step is money. You got to have the funding. Uh, so we worked with the legislature to push um, uh, SB 96 through back in 20. Uh, 18, that bill was passed, and that provided the sustainable funding source, transitioned the funding from the old model to a new model that could support what we're doing. So now we had the funding. The next step is contracts, right? So we had to work with vendor partners, select them. Uh, we signed contracts by October of 2019. We had our four vendors on board that could provide the service. That's pretty quick very fast um and now here we are sitting in 2021 and we're live in our first PSAP, which is very exciting and on state it projects um this is light speed um but from my perspective uh it seems excruciatingly slow <laughs> yeah i bet i bet because you've seen all the the roadblocks and you've seen all the hurdles and the the brick walls that you've had to scale um, but you've you've been able to make it happen how did you make it happen? I mean, what did it take? And we'll get into the next gen 911 here in a moment, but what did it take to, to make all this happen so quickly? Coming up, Budge's answer to that question, which is an important one, especially for anyone who may be facing the same challenge in their own community. And what a challenge it is. So many plates spinning at the same time, but it all starts with ones and zeros. This is a, a dramatic paradigm shift of the technology on the back end. Routing, mobile phones, location accuracy. They're all weak links in today's legacy 911 system. We knew NextGen would ultimately solve this problem. Let's get back to our conversation with Budge Courier. How did you make it happen? I mean, what did it take? And we'll get into the NextGen 911 here in a moment, but what did it take to, to make all this happen so quickly? So I, I think that the first step is, is you need to have a vision and a clear plan. Um, and, and we had that. We developed that early on. That's what we used to get the legislation through to get the funding. That's what we used to develop the requests for proposals that ended up getting the contracts in place. So that clear vision and plan. The next step is I needed a team. 
I had to have a team around me of experts that could help drive this project. And we've got um, about 25 folks that are in the 911 branch on the, we have two parts of the organization. Emergency communications is one side and then 911 is the other. So that 911 piece, uh, we needed project managers, we needed engineers, we needed folks to ensure the, the reconciliation and the fiscal process was in place. We needed folks, um, we used the existing people that we had that have a relationship with the public safety answering points, the PSAPs that are out there. And then we, we, we literally went and did a roadshow. We did 13 outreach meetings um, to reach our 450 public safety answering points. So these are run by chiefs of police, sheriffs, fire chiefs, um, and, and other JPAs, joint powers authorities that exist to manage these centers. We went and told them, this is our plan. This is where we're headed. This is the vision. This is what it's going to look like in timeline. Um, and we ended up reaching a majority of those PSAPs. And then we just started a very deliberate collaboration process. We formed regional task force to give them a voice into what we're doing because the role of this project is, is to route the call to the right center as fast as possible. So they can then answer the call and provide that emergency services that saves lives. We're not the ones answering those calls. We're just giving them the tool set to get the information they need to dispatch the resources to that person that, that, that needs help. And so we had to, to message all that. that that's, that's how we started. And then as people started to catch the vision and understand what we were doing, they got behind us. And okay. so, um, so initially, it sounds to me like the only, the only hesitation would have been cost. Initially, yeah, absolutely. We needed funding and we needed someone to come in with a vision and a plan. Um, obviously, just money alone with how are we going to spend that? Right. You have to, you have to manage those, right. so match these, those two pieces. These together. local PSAPs, were they ever, it sounded like you, like there were still some folks who were maybe on the fence about it. Or was everybody on board right away? Because it, I don't see that happening. No, there was hesitation, certainly. Um, The good news is we didn't have opposition. So I wasn't facing opposition. It was more of they had heard about NextGen 911 literally for 10 years before this. The standard was first developed in 2011. The standard that we ended up implementing was in place in 2017. So this was all known standards-based uh, you know, technology. But it was all theoretical, wasn't it? All theoretical. No okay. one had built what, what would be called the reference system. Okay. We, we built the reference system. Oh. Um, other states built portions of it and pieces, and we learned from them, certainly. It was a critical part of our strategy. A lot of collaboration with the state of Washington and the folks they have up there that mm. um, they, they built a part of the network. Um, so I think a lot of it was, you know, people say that the, the PSAPs are reluctant to change. And, and what we learned was they're not reluctant to change. They're, re- they're reluctant to poorly executed change. Mm. If you communicate to them, here's where we're headed, here's how we're going to get there, and here's the rough timeline of what that's going to look like, we started to build this momentum and, and support for the system. And it sounded like you already had funding in place before you went on this roadshow, or, or am I wrong? We were anticipating the funding would be successful. Okay, so all right, we were gotcha. Fo- forward leaning, I think, is the uh, the go. OES term. Yes, yes. And uh, when the funding did come through, we had all the pieces in place to be full speed ahead. Okay, good. And then we went back out on the road again once the contract was signed. Because we basically said, we came and communicated this vision to you. 
okay, now we've got funding, we've got contracts in place. Here's our vendors. We went and did it again. We're going to get her done. This is what it mm -hmm. looks like now. Yeah. And uh, it was really important part of the process because I think what people underestimate is the value in telling somebody, here's what we're planning to do. Okay, here's what we're starting to do. And then we've continued. Here's what we're doing now. And now that we've gone live, matter of fact, today we're in the central region with a regional task force meeting explaining what we're doing right now. So this is an ongoing process that yeah. we've kept up and I've got a whole team. There. Excellent communication. Absolutely. That's really what it takes here. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. A excellent. So no one's ever left in the dark for really ever. I mean, you're constantly communicating, right? They may beg to differ. Yeah. We, 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 <laughs> right. We, we try and yeah. constantly communicate, but it's a complex problem project that we're trying to solve. And so inevitably there's people who feel they're in the dark and we just encourage them, Hey, contact us. Let's, we'll come visit you and we'll sit down. And we recently had a meeting like that with LA city fire where they weren't as involved early on in the project. We went down and sat with them face to face, mm. walked through the whole thing. And they're like, okay, we get it now. We're, we, we understand. Did COVID get in the way of any of this? Absolutely. COVID okay. impacted everything uh -huh. from supply chain, couldn't get the parts as fast as we needed, accessibility into the PSAPs, availability of our vendors to perform the work. Mm. Uh, we had to transition from a in-person to remote for 100% of my staff. Mm. Uh, and it's so- pretty quiet around here. Very quiet. Yeah. We've uh, The team has done an amazing job to transition into this mm. remote environment. What we found is for them, they're probably more productive it's the leadership that has the challenge because we can't collaborate and whiteboard things out the way we are used to yeah. within person. So, right, right. but yeah, it had an impact. I would say it probably added six months to the schedule realistically. Not bad for a worldwide pandemic. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> all right. So let's get right into just what NG 911 is. What is it? And why would people of California and for that matter, any community around the country, why would they, be interested about next generation 911. So next generation 911 in a nutshell is is transitioning from this analog circuit-based technology to IP or internet protocol. And specifically it's session initiated protocol or SIP is the is the buzzword. Um, but it's moving the network from this point to point single point of failure network into a network that's based on IP technology and routers and and the way it works today so if you can imagine um when you type in www.google.com on, on a search engine on the back end what what's really happening is you're hitting against something called the domain name server that takes that google.com and changes it into an ip address and then it's routing all those packets through the network to that wherever that server's sitting that when you're typing in you know where's the best taqueria near here and it sends that data back to you, NextGen 911 is built on that same premise. Mm. So when I send a call to a PSAP, I'm not sending it across a point-to-point -point network that's single point of failure, single threaded. I'm putting it into what a domain name server environment where I can resolve that location of that PSAP and, and then send a packet stream over multiple paths to get to that PSAP. So that I, I removed the single point of failure and now all the data, including the audio, is sent as payload and that payload could change. So when we get to the point where the carriers are sending in photos or videos or any other kind of data along with that call, it just becomes part of that media 
payload that goes with that IP packet to be delivered to that PSAP. Um, they're not there yet, but we sized and built the network to accommodate that. So that's essentially what NextGen 911 is. So give me a real world example of, of how this would look to someone calling 911. What would they experience and what would they be able to do that they couldn't do before? So from the 911 caller's perspective today, not much. Hmm. When you call 911, you don't even need to know that NextGen is in place or not. Um, the network itself, though, is, is fundamentally different in how that call is arriving there. Uh, so the, what we've focused on is this is a, a dramatic paradigm shift of the technology on the back end, but the interface to the user, we want it to remain the same. That removes the training barrier, removes the need to message anything different to the public um, because this project is com complex enough. But we've built it in such a way that when those other data sets are needed, when you can send video, when you can send photo, when everything is all there. So if you've ever made a 911 call and on your phone you have TTY enabled, which is uh, access and functional needs, it does an interpretation um, from uh, for those that um, need uh, deaf and hard of hearing community, those folks. There's the ability to switch that call over from a voice call to a TTY. And, and it actually would send the data to the 911 center so that somebody that's um, deaf and hard of hearing could communicate with a dispatcher and you see the text string come up instead of audio. Um, so that kind of technology is available on the carrier side for what we call real-time text. And there other technologies are coming. NextGen 911 puts all the pieces in place so that when those technologies are available, we don't have to do anything to the network. It's ready to go. We've heard about text to 911. This is part of that? Budge will get to that question in just a moment. We're talking about the new and improved 911 system in California, next generation 911. Some of the problems with today's system, routing, mobile phones, and location accuracy. We knew NextGen would ultimately solve this problem. It's now live in one Northern California community, and you could test it yourself, as Cal OES is doing right now and for many more months to come. The rollout is well underway. The wheels that are spinning to make all that happen are, are just unbelievable. And it, and it takes all of those people to make this kind of project a reality. More now with Budge Courier. We've heard about text to 911. This is part of that? We are going to change how we deliver text to 911. Today, it's delivered um, using the analog interface that we talked about. Yes, we're doing that. Matter of fact, today, we're testing a text to 911 solution at uh, Sacramento County Sheriff and Sacramento PD, uh, which is part of this next gen 911 transition that we're doing. It's a separate project, but it's gonna use the same pathways to get there. So yeah, all of this is part of the, the, the same project. So what about accuracy? I understand the accuracy of, uh, let's say someone who's calling from a cell phone uh, in maybe a rural area or even a populated area, is, is that going to be improved? It will. And today, when you call 911 on, on your wireless device specifically, for a wireline or a fixed voice over IP solution like a Comtest or Charter or something like that that you have in the home, your address is fixed. So those addresses that come in 
today versus next gen, the accuracy should be the same because it's a fixed address. It's wireless that is the real change. Mm. In today's world, the way that call gets there, and it's 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 a it's a little complex, but you call 911 from any number, we have no idea who you are, what you're calling about, or where you're calling from. So there's a device called a selective router that it, it reaches out to a database with your phone number and then pulls in what's called, it's called an emergency services number. It's a unique identifier. It says this call should go to that PSAP. We send the call to the PSAP. When it arrives at the PSAP, the PSAP then does another query back to that database to pull your address. And then your address shows up. Okay. For wireless, it happens similar. But remember, wireless moves all around. Yeah. So we put a dummy record in there like a, that, that, that has a generic field in it. So when you call wireless, we, the carrier then sends that location information from your device, fills that dummy record in with where you are, so the routing can happen. I see. And it's using what, like triangulation or whatever. You, exactly. Whatever, however it is that they know using GPS or whatever. I don't but, know. But here's the thing. That takes time. So if I can't find your exact location in two seconds or less, then I need to do a default routing. I need to take everything in, in that cell sector. And if you've ever looked at cell towers, they have like, you know, panels that face out usually in three verticals that go out from the tower. Each of those is a sector. We have about 400,000 cell sectors in California, and we have a statutory uh, requirement for us to route that call to the PSAP that corresponds to that cell sector. And we oh, do a okay. lot of work to do that. Wow. So when that call comes in today, if we can't get the exact location we have to route on a cell sector, the limitation is we can only send that to one PSAP. Well, if that cell sector crosses multiple boundaries, I have to pick which of those PSAPs is best. We do that based on stats. Then I send to that PSAP. NextGen changes all that. When you call in NextGen, you're able, the carrier is able to send me the exact lat long of your cell phone, usually within two seconds as required, and I can make a routing decision to send that call straight to the PSAP with your information right in that IP header. Mm. So there's no back and forth. Yeah. I mean, when it arrives, it populates. And then um, in the case where it's not available within two seconds, we still have that fallback mechanism that exists today. And then they can do what's called a rebid where they refresh your location. This was so important to our PSAPs that we knew NextGen would ultimately solve this problem. Um, two years ago, we rolled out a technology um, by a company called Rapid Deploy that pulls that cell-based location, that device-based location, and puts it in another screen and displays it in the PSAP today. So we can at least show them where the, the accurate location is and compare it to what the 911 system is bringing in. So we have empirical data that compares those two values. So we've, this is going to be a game changer for us. It it's sounds really like it's exciting. very complicated, uh, very for, complicated for those folks who are not <laughs> <Yeah>. engineering minded. <laughs> uh, but, but the point here is that anybody who has a cell phone, which is most people nowadays, they should have a peace of mind now that they might not have had in the past, knowing that if they're in an emergency and they're calling from a cell phone, that the emergency response effort is going to know where they are. Exactly. Yeah. And we have that technology available to every PSAP today. 
once we complete the next gen 911 rollout, it'll be just inherent in the way the calls are delivered. So we're really excited awesome. about that. Awesome. Man, that's, that's, like you said, game changer. Love it. So what else should folks know about next gen 911? Right now, uh, is it only live in Tuolumne County? Just in Tuolumne County. So if you have a T-Mobile cell phone and you want to test out next gen 911, drive up to the city of Sonora in Tuolumne County and <laughs> make a call and it'll work. Uh, and mm. we, uh, the next step for us is, is to take that as a baseline. This is how we do it. This is the steps that are involved to get this done. And then come up with the process needed to duplicate that at the next 400 and, you know, 49 PSAPs in the state, if you count all the military PSAPs and everything we have. So that's our, that's the work that we're going to be doing between now and uh, through the end of December. And then um, there's a period of time between Thanksgiving and the first of the year where most carriers lock down their networks and don't allow any changes. Hmm. So we had to go live when we did because we're coming into this, what they call a blackout period. So that'll give us time to really take a look at our processes, how we're going to do this at scale. And then beginning of the year, we'll start cranking through and, and bringing more and more uh, PSAPs online. And the way it'll work is we bring carrier by carrier, PSAP by PSAP online, testing and validating all along. Obviously, uh, this is 911, so you can't get it close to right. It's got to be exactly right. Yeah. How long do you anticipate this process to take to fully implement all of the PSAPs with Next Generation? If, if we don't improve our process, it could take us two to three years, okay. and, and that's not acceptable. So we need to do some process improvement. Um, I would like to be at a place that come December next year, we're in cleanup mode where we're getting those challenging PSAPs or... Um, with 450 of them, they ultimately move and relocate. And, you know, there's those, like we just, uh, they just did a relocation of, of the CHP Capital um, Dispatch Center. Things like that happen and disrupt your schedule. So if we can be in that, you know, December next year where there's, I don't know, 30 to 40 that because of this, that, or the other thing, they haven't transitioned yet, that would be great. Mm. Um, but if we don't find a better way to improve our process, um, it, it'll, it'll go beyond that. And we're trying to avoid that. Um, How did you choose Tuolumne as the first location? <laughs> it's interesting. I was there yesterday talking to the undersheriff, um, who if you ever met him, he's about seven feet tall. He's huge. I, I saw him, he had to duck his head <laughs> I, to get through the doorway. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, so I, I wanted to tell him we chose, we looked for a, 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 you know, a county that had a, a seven foot tall undersheriff. But, uh, that, <laughs> yes. was, that was not the reason. No, um, we have what these selective router devices that I mentioned, there's 45 of them in the state um, total that are doing routing today. The selective router in Tuolumne County is the least complex of all of them. I see. The least amount of PSAPs that they transfer one to another. So we were able to zero in in terms of complexity. This was one of the easier to deal with so that we could cut our teeth on something, learn the lessons, define the process. And then the, the PSAP had to be willing. It had to be a willing partner. And Tuolumne County has been just amazing to work with. And then Sonora PD is part of that um, transfer cluster. So if a call comes into Tuolumne County, they transfer to Sonora PD sometimes, which is right there in, in their county. 
CHP Merced is an important part of this because of wireless calls and state highways and jurisdiction. And then uh, Cal Fire San Andreas oh. um, is the other one. And, and obviously Cal Fire for fire suppression and, and, and uh, response in, in terms of that. So those four PSAPs were the only ones impacted by this first go live. So in terms of complexity, the least complex in the state to deal with. Our next one will be Imperial County. There's a few more PSAPs involved there. And then after that, we'll probably be doing, um, it's El Dorado County, South Lake Tahoe, you know, kind of that Highway 50 corridor right. will be the next one. And then we'll just keep moving out from there across the state. And the work done by state agencies like CHP, CAL FIRE, the collaboration needed there to validate this, to vet it, for their dispatchers to, to look at the solution, look at the location that's being displayed, understand the technology and vet the process. It, the, the amount of collaboration has just been unbelievable. And then obviously on the OES team, um, you know, we have our project managers, our engineers that are doing all, I, I, I jokingly tell everybody, I don't do anything and I really don't. Those are the people doing stuff. Mm. They come to me when there's a challenge, a barrier, or somebody needs proper encouragement. Um, but beyond that, they're the ones doing all that hard work. So it's it's really exciting. Kudos to, see to that. the team. Absolutely. Wow. What else would you like to say about next next gen nine one one? Is there anything that uh, I mean we've covered? We started and we've come full circle now. So, is there anything that you think folks should know? So the obviously this project is a public-private partnership. So we have four vendors that are providing the solution for us, and they've been doing a tremendous amount of work for us. So um, Autos, Synergym, Lumen, and NGA 911, those companies are working hand-in-hand with Cal OES and the PSAPs, so they're the ones that are delivering the solution, and we're managing the contract. And then the, the other moving piece that's involved is the call processing equipment, like what you see around us today. It it's already exists at the PSAP. It's already installed. It's already answering, answering legacy calls. So our CPE provider, the main two are AT&T and Frontier, they're involved too because they got to do all the reprogramming to make all of this work. So if you can imagine trying to move all of those pieces together in this you know timeline that we've got, with 450 PSAPs and chiefs of police and sheriffs and, and fire chiefs and the wheels that are spinning to make all that happen are, are just unbelievable. And it, and it takes all of those people to make this kind of project a reality uh, and, and, and bringing them all to the table with a willingness to get this done. Any technological tools that you yourself use to manage this entire project? Yeah, we, we got a grant from the federal government for NextGen 911, and we identified a gap um, that we did not have a proper GIS team. Mm. So we went out with limited term positions funded through the grant, and we established the GIS team, and they have, have created some amazing tools. So if you want to see one of them, you can go on the 911 website, caloes.ca.gov slash 911, and then look at PSAP Tracker, and you can click on that, it's a public document, and it shows where we are with deployment, oh. which PSAPs have been uh, installed with the equipment, where they are, there's little gauges, and so if you've ever been in the SOC, which I know you have, mm -hmm. and you see all those dashboards that are up there on the screen, right. something similar, um, our team developed that, our, our GS team within Cal OES, in the 911 branch developed that. 
Um, so that's been pretty critical. And, and um, the other thing that we're seeing, which, which we did not anticipate. So this is the first system like this in the nation. And we're finding that it's becoming the catalyst for data sharing. We've built out the secure network that's connected to every single PSAP in the state. So we're starting to have those conversations of what, what can we do with this network? Um, so that's, I think, another byproduct of this. It's becoming the catalyst to drive innovation into that space. One of our vendors is a cloud vendor, 100% cloud. The entire next-gen solution from the company is NGA 911 is, is all in the cloud. So that conversation is entering into mm -hmm. this as well. So it's pretty exciting to see kind of the byproduct of the work that we're doing um, in this project and what we're seeing happen in this space. So you really have, exciting. You have opened the door just a crack and there's a lot of light coming through that door now. But once you get this door open fully, it's it's only our own imagination and and willingness to do it that would limit anything that we can do with this technology. It sounds like there's a lot more to come. A lot more to come. We're very excited. Very cool. Very cool. All right. So this is something I used to do, and I haven't done it for a while, but I'm going to do it now. What was the last music that you listened to on your cell phone? What was the last thing you played? All right. So I have a classic country station, uh, my Pandora. Okay. So I'm pretty sure it was either a Buck Owens song oh. or a, uh, you know, some, yeah. somebody like that or Merle Haggard or, oh, yeah. or one of the classics. I'm absolutely sure it was one of them. Love it. I have not gotten that answer ever, but I love it. Buck Owens, fantastic guitar player. Man, I love that. All right. Well, that's cool. That's cool. I've gotten a lot of different answers to that question. And uh, Buck Owens, the first time. I love it. <laughs> All right. Uh, Butch Courier, thanks, man, for uh, spending some time with me explaining this whole Next Gen 911 thing. It's a big deal. It, it really is. I don't think people really understand, and they don't have to understand all the nuance and the technology that goes into it. But what they should know is that California and Cal OES is working really hard to, and, and obviously you specifically and your team, working very hard to bring the latest technology into emergency response, first responder uh, response, and um, it's only going to make life here in California safer and better. Thanks for all the hard work you're doing. Absolutely, and really thanks to uh, the team that's doing the real work uh, and to the support from leadership. and. Uh, you know, that we get all the way up to the director on, on this project because there's a lot of moving parts here and we need, we need help and, and we're getting it. It's very exciting. My thanks to Budge Courier, 911 Emergency Communications Branch Manager for Cal OES for shoehorning us into his very busy day. We'll be sure to check back in with him as they make progress toward expanding next generation 911 throughout the state, also known as Next Gen 911. And be sure to check out the additional content we have that accompanies this podcast, including photos, links, and a video story to come. Go to news.caloes.ca.gov and click the podcast tab. Hey, thank you for listening, and be sure to subscribe to All Hazards wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions or comments, send them to me at media at caloes.ca.gov. For everyone here at Cal OES and the Office of Public Information, I'm Sean Boyd. Take care and be safe. You've been listening to the Cal OES All Hazards Podcast. Don't forget to check out our podcast page where you can find past episodes along with show notes and links. 
and give us a social shout out. Tell others about us on Twitter and Facebook and let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you.